Last week, we had our provisions ministry, our new ministry. I think um, we were enacting it. So uh, for those of you who don't know, this is a new ministry we started for homeless people who are transitioning to an apartment. Often, the way their apartment is furnished is from an organization called Houses to Homes. That generally takes two to three months, so the first uh, a few months while an individual or family is in the apartment, they don't have anything. And so we started something called provisions where we have a set of things, a cot and just pots, pans, things that you, the basic essentials. And last week we assembled them, our youth did the work, and then we drove them in flatbed trucks to crisis center, which is now called Community, and they now have 30 kits for 30 different uh, individuals or families. So we're thrilled that we could do that. I felt like that was more alive. Provisions is doing well. During this um, Lent season, we're borrowing an idea from Brian McLaren. Brian is a public theologian and an author who some of us are familiar with. And he has, inv has invited us into a practice called renouncing and announcing, or simply saying no to what's not life-giving and saying yes to what is. So each Sunday, we're gonna take up this theme and today, I am saying no to the path that is, and yes to I'm not exactly sure what, and that is the point. So let's pray. Jesus, we go and go and go and go and go. I don't know, sometimes just the words let's pray maybe signals a little bit to slow down where we can sense you with us, your presence, your voice, your invitation. Help us to be present to you, O oh God, this morning. Let us experience your spirit with us. Amen. Well, being married to Tom, to my husband, is an adventure. And I mean that in the best sense. Um, Tom lives for uncharted territory. So if we're hiking, he has to explore every trail and then create a few of his own. When we snorkel um, and Tom sees a shark, for example, he doesn't have the instinct to stay on the path, which in this case is code for get the heck out of there. Um, he is infinitely curious, and simultaneously, he swims toward the shark, and I yank him toward the shore. Now, it is a blessing being married to Tom, except that Tom is not a fearful person, and he married a somewhat cautious, sometimes, fearful person, and my life, since saying I do, is one of being constantly stretched. Tom and I hike 
whenever we can. And a few years ago, we hiked a place called, uh, we hiked in Vancouver Island, and at some point, we hit this. So this is a picture of Tom and our friend um, Kevin. We were hiking with another couple. And Tom is so happy because he literally hit the end of the road. I'm probably not in the picture because I'm mad at him because he made me hike to the end of the road. We hiked as far as we could to the place where our path ended. And any further would have become the path that is not a path. I once again forgot water. I mimed it in case you had problem hearing me. <laughs> okay, this notion, the path that is not a path, I think is a metaphor for time in my lives, and I think maybe for this community and maybe some of you on your journeys. So just take a moment and think for yourself, have you ever been at an end of the road moment? Maybe you're in one now. So a moment where there isn't an obvious, well-documented, uh, well-trodden path in front of you. The anxious space of realizing that you are the explorer and the cartographer because as far as you can tell, the path doesn't yet exist. So arguably, this is all of us, all the time. For those of you, thank you. For those of you that are parents, right? All of our children are unique, we're unique. The details around our vocations are unique. Our friendship dynamics. They're unique, but that said, there are times and there are times. When I came to faith as a young woman, I was a part of a church that could have been any number of churches. We had our distinctives, but nothing so different than tons of other churches. When we planted this church from the movement we were part of, we had particularities to be sure, but we had a definite template that we were following. There was a big church at that time in our movement that was in Ohio, and they had like eight or 9,000 people, and so they were thriving. And so they did a conference every year, and I think it was called Doing Church, and pastors from all over the country in our movement, and probably some that weren't, and some from beyond our country, would come to learn best practices for pastoring and lay leaders, for best practices for lay leading, ministry leaders, etc. Because there was a path. We were on a path. Lots of other people were on our path. And that path offered lots of security until it didn't. So this morning, as you can tell, I'm playing with the idea of the path that is not a path, that uncharted space beyond the sign. What does it look like? How do we know if we're on it? How anxiety-provoking is it? How do we navigate it well? God calling Abraham with a simple word, go. We'll look at several passages from scripture that are familiar. Um, we'll look at our community where we've clearly hit an end of the road sign, are doing our best along with other explorers to chart the unknown, and then maybe think a little bit about how to do it well. So early in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist 
cryptically begins to tell his followers about this new guy. In John 1.29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So not exactly a clear and obvious recommendation. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So followed him like literally, like not like gave their life to him. They just were following him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. The story goes on, but ultimately Jesus is saying, come and see my uncharted journey. Perhaps you'll join me on this path that is not a path. Clearly, there were other Hebrew prophets decrying justice, but there was something unique about injustice, but there was something unique about Jesus on a path that would unfold as it unfolded because its path hadn't been laid. When the early disciples left everything to follow Jesus, it wasn't like quitting a job in academia for one in industry. It was leaving a well-trodden path for a risky unknown. So Philip asks the obvious question, Nazareth? Really? Because what could come from Nazareth? Now, we can read that and it can sound kind of prejudiced, like, yuck. Nazareth. I think the idea is, how are you different than us? Like, by what authority do you come? Because it seems like your invitation is to give up everything we have, all of our security, the well-trodden path we are on. And it's not obvious why. But something inside them is stirring, something that they can't ignore. And they have the feeling that you and I have sometimes, something that tells them they are on to something, something about you, something about your connection to God, something about your authority, something so they follow. Jesus ministers in power, and he invites his new disciples to do the same. And it says in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, these are the instructions that Jesus gives them. This is their seminary experience. I went to two years of seminary, and then God knows how many years to get a doctorate. This is what he tells them. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. It was a negative instruction. Don't be too comfortable. Don't go where you're not welcome. Okay, got it. In other words, this path that you're on it's not a path, 
But the disciples do go, and they return, and they go somewhere private with Jesus with the intention of debriefing. But crowds end up showing up who've been hearing everything that's been going on with Jesus. And it says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, listen, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find some food and lodging. We're in a remote place here. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy all the food for this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. So approximately 20,000 people, including women and children, and they're hungry. And the disciples, they're just trying to be responsible. And they're thinking like, we've prayed for people's headaches. We can't take two loaves of bread and five fish and feed 20,000 people. Like nothing in our years of fishing has prepared us for this. Nothing in our time with you has prepared us for this. We have no imagination for something like this. We have no way forward. Our path ended long ago. Now, I don't think that Jesus is purposely setting the disciples up as part of a discipleship plan. If their blueprint is God, if they are following the Spirit of God, John tells us the wind blows where it pleases. It's not a great blueprint. We're getting closer to Easter. Easter for us is the day of hope, resurrection, new life. Everything is possible. But for the friends of Jesus, Easter brought these fleeting visits from Jesus. Mary, Jesus says, and then he's gone. Touch my side, Jesus says, and then he's gone. Have some fish, Jesus says. I'm here enough, Jesus is saying, to let you know that in some way that you can't really understand or predict, I'm still around, ish. But literally, you are at the end of the road since I have been your road. Brian McLaren titled one of his books, We Make the Road by Walking. What I want to do with the rest of our time is ask, how we navigate paths that are not paths, and what it means to us as a faith community. So number one, it can be hard to recognize when we as a church became fully inclusive in 2016, our vision was to keep doing exactly what we had been doing, but now we're an inclusive church, which meant we still had a good blueprint. We do church, we have small groups, we have our gatherings, we do our outreach. What could be hard about this? We've done it for years. The problem is we didn't know what we didn't know. As we became more inclusive, we began paying more attention to language. In particular, we were becoming more sensitive to the historic male gendering of God. Words like kingdom, 
began, became more irrelevant and uncomfortable for some people. Dearly held understandings of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and why he died weren't sitting as well or as easy with us. The idea of God's wrath didn't mesh with the loving God who created us in their image. And the violence of the cross didn't mesh with Jesus' nonviolent ways. I think for some folks who find themselves in the space that we talk about as deconstructing, it can be enough to say, I think I'm through with faith, right? Maybe I'm done with church. If you're used to being on a well-trodden path, it can be disorienting. Finding yourself on a path, finding yourself off the path, it doesn't have to be spiritual. It could be vocational. It could be about our health, a relationship rupture, a death. It could be a global pandemic. Not that we would ever have that. Any aspect of how we're living that seems to be altered significantly without a way forward that we've previously imagined. Over time and as we get older, we can recognize these moments where the path is not a path, where we aren't sure what going forward looks like. We can admit, this is super scary. It's scary to walk away. It's scary to hold on. That is the nature of realizing we're not on a path that we thought we were on. It is God calling Abraham with that simple word, go. It is Jesus saying to some uneducated fishermen, follow me. So number one, we learn to recognize when we're in the place and our first clue might be the anxiety that we're feeling. Two, grieve what you've lost. Sometimes it is a person or a relationship or our health. But sometimes it's the security of knowing where we're going and how we're getting there. Rachel Held Evans, who some of you know as a young faith blogger, seemed to have a prophetic sense of where many people were heading, or maybe she could just make out that end of the road sign. She had these wonderful conferences called Evolving Faith, and just the title was hopeful for so many of us. It gave language to our process without offering easy answers. Rachel had speakers share their stories of what was no longer working for them and some of the new understandings that they were slipping into. Rachel died unexpectedly a couple years ago as a young woman but not before posting a sign like the one we saw in Canada. It's the end of the road, but her message was there is a way forward for us to find. And she invited us to reimagine church, scripture, theology. She taught us to grieve and to hope. And finally, number three, walking the path that's not a path. John 3.8 says this, the wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
We ask the questions that the early friends of Jesus had to be obsessing about. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? How do we remain open-hearted and curious? How do we tend to ourselves kindly? How do we habitually attune to that still, small voice that is continually calling out to us? Perhaps in the end, it boils down to a decision. Maybe we're not so different than the disciples. Maybe Jesus is saying, follow me. And we're going, um, okay, where? Tell us more. I want to close with a story where I hit an end of the road sign and I had to make a split second decision about the path I was on. It's not that I would have been doomed if I had not made this choice, but I think we face choices like these that determine our path. So this is probably 2013. We wouldn't leave the vineyard, the movement we were a part of, for another year, and we wouldn't come out as inclusive for two more years. But by now, we had an increasing number of friends uh, coming to the church, attending the church, who identified as LGBTQ. A good friend of mine from the church we attended in Evanston in Chicago happened to be visiting me this particular weekend. She was a bigwig in that movement we were a part of. And she was solidly conservative around sexuality. Sex was intended for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. This was the theology of the movement we were a part of. This was where most people landed. My friend who was visiting came with us to church that morning. And she would have sat next to me and Tom right there in the second row where my little grandson is right now. So that's the setup. She would have been sitting next to Tom and I was giving the teaching. And I must have been talking about healthy relationships, and at some point, I tell a story about marriage, and I read a paragraph that some couple in our church had written about how their marriage had been served by their faith. And I got to the end of the teaching, and I felt led to invite those who wanted to come forward for prayer if something stirred them, if they had something in their marriage that they wanted blessed specifically, they could come forward for prayer, which was a normative practice. That's what we did often in those days. A lot of folks were making their way forward, but two women who were married and had not gotten the memo that my conservative bigwood friend from Chicago was sitting five feet away, and they came forward wanting their blessing. And to be clear, not just any blessing, like, oh, bless you, child of God. They wanted a blessing for their marriage. And not only did they come forward, but they came forward eagerly. And like people who are hungry for the spirit of God, they came right up to me, and said, Adie, lay hands on us and bless our marriage. 
which would have been fine if we fast-forwarded two years and if I knew exactly how I understood the change we were leaning into in the context of Scripture, and if we had already left the movement that we were a part of, and if my big-wig good friend wasn't sitting five feet away from me. It is hard being on the path that is not a path in front of a couple hundred people. In those moments, we don't have a lot of choices. We listen to our fears. They scream at us. They warn us. They accuse us. And then we take a breath. And we hear that still, small voice. And we look where the wind is blowing, what we think might be the Spirit of God. Now, my guess is that no matter how I responded, there was enough energy and enough momentum in our community. We were going to get where we needed to get, regardless of what happened at that moment. But for those women, it mattered. And for me, it mattered. In that moment, laying hands on my friends, I was saying yes to the wind, yes to the wild ride, yes to the evolving faith, yes to the condemnations and real losses that we would experience. Those moments are yes to life. If you are Jewish, they are l'chaim moments. It's tevya on the on fiddler in the rough. L'chaim, l'chaim to life. Moments where the best we can tell with our limited discernment, but the only discernment that you and I ever have, that the wind is blowing this way. It was a joy and a privilege to step off the cliff that morning. Deconstructing anything can be disorienting, faith, science, our understanding of the world. But maybe our invitation is not to languish. We stay in that glorious, unknown swirl for a bit. And then we find spirit. We risk, we begin to reconstruct. We take chances because our best bet is speculation. Some of their advancement, sorry, our biblical ancestors did this all the time. Some of their advancements from surrounding cultures were earth-shatteringly Monumental, going from many gods, from warring gods, gods that could be killed and born, to a creator God who created humans in God's own image is earth-shatteringly 
monumental. You and I will never get it all right. But living, really living, l'chaim, living, living by and with the spirit of the living God, sometimes it just means hitting the end of our road and with the tools that we have and the navigational skills that we've honed making our way. Amen.